If you know me, you know this, but if you don't know me, just go ahead and know this. I am the world's worst at waiting. I'm a terrible waiter. I'm awful at it. I'm pretty sure that one day last week, a red light skipped my turn, and I'm still struggling to get over that even today. Uh, if you're in the left lane on the interstate, you best be passing somebody if I'm behind you, okay? Or I will pray certain prayers over your life. I'm just not good at waiting. I don't even know what the bell sounds like on my microwave oven at home. Anybody relate to that? I've never heard the thing ding. I don't know if it does ding. I don't know. I've never heard it. I'm not going to lie to you. I am terrible at waiting. That's not a good thing. I'm not bragging on that. Uh, that's not a good virtue to have. That's an area of my life that I stand in desperate need of a lot more of the work of God in my life. I need a lot more sanctification when it comes to waiting. But then there's times that waiting is really, really hard. I don't mean just some, some guy's driving 85 in the left lane like he's got no, no, I'm sorry, like 70 in the left lane. <laughs> I'm talking about waiting gets really, really hard in those times that God is saying to me or to you, just wait. That's when it's really tough. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there today. A prayer that you've prayed a really long time. And God's just saying, wait. A desire in your life you're seeing you want to see it come to pass and God's saying wait anybody here in that place today a season of waiting waiting on the Lord and you know God's in control you know that but it's hard because he doesn't seem to be in a hurry and that's sometimes hard to handle I think one of the reasons I'm so bad at waiting is I'm not good at doing nothing now don't get me wrong, I'm really good at doing nothing when I'm supposed to be doing nothing. When it's time to relax, when it's time to veg out, when it's time to chill out, I'm good at that. I got no problem with that. Where I struggle is when I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something and I can't do anything. That's when it's really hard. Something is supposed to be happening. Progress is supposed to be being made. I'm supposed to be taking ground here. I'm supposed to have some traction here right now, but it's not happening. That's when it's really hard to wait, and I'm not good at doing nothing when I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something. I remember when me and Shannon were in Africa one time, and this local pastor was going to pick us up at the hotel, and I was going to be preaching several times throughout that day, and he told me what time we'd get picked up and so we're out there you know a few minutes early uh, ready to get picked up and go go to work I'm excited to get to go preach the gospel you know to all these folks and so it came time to be picked up and he's not there and 15 minutes later he's not there and 45 minutes later he's not there an hour and 15 minutes later he's not there nobody told me this but come to find out in their culture there church doesn't really have a start time it just starts when the preacher shows up they just kind of hang out all day and church just starts when it starts, but man, I was pacing a trench in the floor of that hotel lobby because I do not wait well, especially when I feel like I'm supposed to be somewhere, I'm supposed to be doing something, and yet here I am doing nothing. That's what makes waiting on the Lord so hard, because it feels like I'm supposed to be doing something, and yet God says to wait, to wait. It's hard to wait right now, I'll be honest. We're, we're in between campuses at Grace Life, and this waiting is hard. I'm hearing it from our staff every day. We know we're in the longest days of our life right now. The waiting, we're in between, right? Like, it's painful that we're about to have our second 
summer without a vacation Bible school. And man, that is crushing my soul to think about that. But, but we're waiting, but the waiting is difficult. Here, here's what I'm learning. I don't want to say that I'm learning this, but I am learning. I didn't want to learn this. This is not a lesson that I signed up for. But maybe you can relate. Waiting is hard, but it's necessary. It's in the waiting oftentimes that God is showing us more of who he is. It's in the waiting that God's changing us and transforming our lives. So listen, if you're in a season of waiting this morning, I just want to say to you, be of good courage. God has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. And he is not late. So here's the question I want us to talk about today. So, so what do we do while we're waiting? Do we just play with our phones? I mean, that's what we typically do these days when we're waiting on something. But is that what we should do while we're waiting on God? It's, it's just kind of zone out, just zombie out, just do something to pass the time? Should we just sit around and sort of twiddle our thumbs? Or is there something that we ought to be doing while we're waiting? Well, today we're in Acts chapter 1. We started a new sermon series last week, by the way, if you weren't here, called Church on the Move. We're going to walk through the book of Acts together. And in Acts chapter 1 here, Jesus' disciples find themselves today in this painful place of waiting. They're in that painful place where they're in the middle of what God has done and what God is about to do. And some of us are in that place right now. You, you, you have a track record of what God has done. You know in your heart God's going to do something, but you're at that in-between in place right now. And Jesus has explicitly told his disciples to wait. Look at verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. This is after he's been crucified, he's been resurrected. There's about 40 days there, not about, but there's 40 days there that he's going to spend with his disciples. And it's in that time period, verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. He orders them to wait. To wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they've been with Jesus, but now Jesus is gone. By the time we get to this passage in Acts, Jesus is ascended now back into heaven. He's promised to send his Holy Spirit, but that hasn't happened yet. And so they're waiting. They're in between. and They're kind of stuck there, waiting on God. Now listen, these disciples, they didn't always get everything right. If you've read much of the Bible, you've come to know that. In fact, most of the people in the Bible didn't get stuff right. I find that to be encouraging and awfully relatable. You probably do too. And usually the disciples, we find them kind of blowing it big time. But this time, I think they get it right. Jesus tells them to wait. And that's exactly what they do. And in doing that, they leave us an example of what you and I should do when we're in those seasons of waiting. Here's what I want to talk to you about today. Four ways to not waste your waiting. Four ways to not waste your waiting. Number one is this. Walk in obedience. Walk in obedience. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Look, that's exactly what Jesus had told them to do, right? He told them, go to Jerusalem and stay there and wait for the Holy Spirit to come to you. Because when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to have the power, the presence, the dunamis, the dynamite of the Holy Spirit of God in you. And things are going to start to go boom. 
in this world because of the Holy Spirit in you. So Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem, and that's what they do. Listen, they haven't always walked in obedience, have they? Just days earlier, he said, hey, I want you to watch and pray with me in the garden. Did they do it? No. They were usually messing up, but this time they're getting it right. They're walking in obedience. God hasn't laid out the entire master plan for them yet. He hasn't told them how the gospel is going to go all over the world. All they know is one thing. Jesus told them to do one thing. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Listen, when you find yourself in that place where you're waiting on instructions from the Lord, make sure this, make sure that you're walking in obedience with what you already know. Why would you think that God is going to tell you more when you're not faithful with what he's already told you? So in those seasons of waiting on the Lord, we've got to walk in obedience. Let me ask you some small group questions. At the end of the service today, I'm going to break you up into groups of three, and we're going to talk about these questions. I'm just kidding. I would love to, but I can't. But here's some, here, if I could, here's small group questions I would want us to talk about today. I want you to think, okay? Is it possible... That some of the times we think we're waiting on God, He's actually waiting on us. Question two. What has God told you to do that you haven't done yet? Follow-up question. When do you plan to take care of that? Question three. Are you in a season of waiting today? If you are, don't waste it. Walk in obedience. Secondly, don't waste the waiting. Unite unite in prayer. If you're in a season of waiting right now, now is the time to unite yourself into the body of Christ. If you're not there already, to unite yourself with other brothers in Christ, other sisters in Christ, and to unite together for the purpose of prayer. Look at verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas. This is not the Judas that betrayed Jesus. He's gone. This is Judas the son of James. So if you count those names, that's 11. Those are the 11 remaining disciples of Jesus now after Judas has stepped into a awful eternity but they're not the only ones that are there the women who also have been followers of jesus are there this is probably people like mary magdalene this is probably people like mary, the other mary and martha the uh, sisters to lazarus probably people like cleopas and salome and of course mary the mother of jesus but here's what i find interesting there's another group of people that's there uniting in that upper room in prayer Verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is interesting. In that prayer meeting is Jesus' mom and his brothers. And here's what's interesting about that. In the earthly life, in the earthly ministry of Jesus, his brothers were skeptics. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They didn't believe that... He was God. In John chapter 7, in fact, we're told they weren't even just skeptics, but they were really kind of tinkering with being scoffers. In John chapter 7, they're sort of mocking Jesus as the Messiah. But something has changed. 
We find them now walking in obedience to Jesus. We find them now united in prayer to and about Jesus. What's changed? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that when Jesus was resurrected, he revealed himself to his brother James. Think about that. If you watched your brother die, you watched the grave get sealed up, but then he appears to you multiple times over more than a month's time period, that's going to change your life. And it changed James' life. And James probably became the catalyst that brought the other brothers and siblings to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. So this family, these brothers, they went from deniers and doubters and being downright jaded about Jesus being the Messiah to now they are gathered together in that upper room, walking in obedience, and they're united together in prayer. Even Jesus' mother is there believing that her son is God. Now, I know it's Mother's Day here, and some sons came to church today with their moms, but there's not a mom in this room that's ready to stand up and testify about their sweet little baby boy that he is God. Right? Mamas, I know you're biased. All right? And I know you're proud. But you got enough sense about you, and you fear God enough that you're not going to stand up here today and say, I want you to know my son is God. No way. But Mary's doing that. Jesus' brothers, they're in that place too. Anybody in this room got a big brother? My sister's here. She's got a big brother. How many, how many of you got a big brother? How many of you are a big brother? All right. The big brothers, the, 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 the little brothers are in this room and they're going, our big brother, he's God. If, if those of you that have a big brother, somebody was asked you today, hey, is your, your big brother, is he God or Satan? Most of you say he's probably on the satanic end, you know, more than the divine end. But Jesus' brothers, they're there. They're in that place, and they're saying, our brother, he is God. Why? Because they saw him die. They knew that he had been resurrected. They've had all these interactions with him. In fact, the, bio, the history, history tells us that James, the brother of Jesus, was so convinced that Jesus was the Messiah that he refused to recant that, and he was tossed off the pinnacle of the temple. His body hits the ground. He's still breathing, and so a mob beats him to death with clubs. But he would not deny that his big brother was God, very God. And so this group of people, they're gathered together, and what are they doing? They're united together in prayer. Listen, if you're in a season of waiting, that's what you do. You don't pull out the phone and pass the time. You get united to the people of God in prayer. You find some people that love Jesus, and you have a prayer meeting. Take a walk together and you pray sit on the porch one evening and you pray sit at somebody's kitchen table and you pray and listen praying always comes before doing some of us are doers i lean that direction i want to do and sometimes i do before or without praying some people are more bent toward praying their attitude sort of is i'll pray and god will do it listen i think god wants us to pray and do but the praying's got to come first they united together in prayer. And they're going to do that for about 10 days now. And at the end of those 10 days, boom. I won't yell it this time because I just almost gave people heart attacks last week when I yelled, boom. But about 10 days later, boom, Holy Spirit's going to show up in a powerful way. And look, let's not forget this, church. Prayer itself is a miracle. Just be honest. How many of you would just like to see a miracle right now, modern day times? 
If I could just see a miracle. I got one better for you. Not only would we like to see a miracle, but you can participate in one. In fact, every time you pray, you are. You are participating in a miracle. Think about this. Us, mortal beings, in this thing called prayer, we get to talk directly to the uncaused cause of all things that exist. We call that person God. Through this thing called prayer, we get to have direct communication to the uncaused cause of all things. From our dimension to the one that he dwells in. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what a miracle is. And so this group of people, they're in the upper room and they're waiting on a miracle. They're united together in prayer. They're actually now participating in a miracle. Let me give you some more things to think about for your small group time later. Question. Is prayer about us trying to move God to action, or is it really about God trying to move us to action? Question number two. Is prayer about us trying to get God to change his mind, or God changing our minds? Question three. Is prayer about us Telling things to God that he doesn't know? Or is it about God telling things to us that we don't know? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been in this waiting season for some time. And you've been praying. And what you now realize is after all this time praying, no, the situation may not have changed. But God sure has changed you. You're different. Your faith is actually stronger, not weaker. There's actually less fear. There's more faith. You know God better and more personally. Listen, I don't disagree with the old adage that says prayer changes things. I just think it's more accurate if it says prayer changes me. I think that's God's purpose and his intent. And so these people, they're all together Walking in obedience, they're united together in prayer. That's what you do when you're waiting on God. Grace Life, what if we were doing that? What if we were walking in obedience with what we do know, and we were intentionally uniting ourselves together to pray? Saying, God, we're not trying to change you. God, would you change us? Desperately, I stand in need of being changed by you, God. Would you change us? Would you change our families? Would you change our church? Would you make us more like you, Jesus? What if we did that? Listen, if you don't want to waste the waiting, walk in obedience. Unite together in prayer. And by the way, that's how unity comes, is through prayer. I'm not a professional counselor. I get called upon to provide biblical counsel sometimes. And I'm pretty quick to say you need a professional. But sometimes, you know, it goes well. And sometimes it seems that in that conversation with people, maybe a, a marital issue, it may be a parent-child relationship, it may be friction between people in a small group here. Sometimes, maybe 45 minutes into that, I realize, man, I'm just hitting a stalemate. This isn't, this isn't going anywhere. And the most effective thing I've learned to do at that point is to say, Hey, Greg, I enjoyed talking with you and Robin today, using y'all hypothetically, of course. 
But I tell you what, my time's up, and if we want to talk again some other time, that'd be great. But here's what I want you to do, Greg. I want y'all to sit right here, and I'm going to step on out, and i got to move on to my next appointment. But y'all don't leave this room until you pray together. And, and I've gone around the corner. Sometimes I've had to wait a long time until that door opened up. But eventually it sort of breaks down, and somebody starts to pray. It's amazing how what we were arguing about we were trying so hard to get people to line up with us. And we stop doing that and we get lined up together with God. And what a beautiful way that God uses that to unite us together. Listen, waiting on God's not a waste of time. It's an investment. Invest well. Don't waste the waiting. Walk in obedience. Unite together in prayer. Third thing, trust Scripture. Trust the scripture. Believe the word of God. Look at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, watch this, the scripture had to be fulfilled. What's Peter do? In the middle of this waiting, Peter picks up God's word. He picks up the scripture. He's in this waiting pattern, but he's trusting scripture. Why does he trust the scripture? Look what he says next. Which the Holy Spirit... Spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Peter says, guys, listen, I know we're waiting, but we're not in the dark here. God has already said this in his word. The Holy Spirit revealed this to David a thousand years ago that what's happened with Judas was going to happen. He's trusting in Scripture, the Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God. He used men like David and others to deliver to us. And then Peter says, verse 17, about Judas. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all, the, all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants. Some of y'all just heard that for the very first time in your life. And you're like, What? And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akel Dama, which is filled of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. What's Peter doing? They're there in the waiting room, and Peter takes them to God's word. They go to Scripture. They're at a crossroads. They don't know what to do. Judas the betrayer has gone. He's dead. They've got a vacancy in the group, a vacancy on the team. Judas needs to be replaced. So Peter doesn't pull them together and go, hey, guys, what do you think? What do you think? What do you, what's your ideas? You got a thought? You got an opinion on this? No, Peter goes, it's in the Word. Let's go to the Word here. And he opens up God's Word. Why? Because God's Word is a lamp to our feet. Right? It's a light to our path. Peter's trusting the scripture because he knows this has come from God. It's come from the Holy Spirit. It's not like any other book in the world. This isn't a self-help book that somebody wrote. This is from the breath of God, from the lungs of God. God wrote this. And listen, guys, the only way that you and I are going to navigate this crazy world that we find ourselves living in is to hold unswervingly to the word of God. You will not be applauded for it, not by man at least but by God.
It will be hard at times, but we must trust the Scripture, especially in our seasons of waiting. Because in the seasons of waiting, that's when we're tempted to pull the fire alarm. Our hair's on fire. I can't wait any longer. I gotta help. Somebody's got to tell me what I'm supposed to do. And we start getting advice from everybody. And y'all, we're too quick to give advice to everybody when what we got to do is trust the Scripture. Walk in obedience. Unite together in prayer. And trust God's word especially in our waiting so having been informed by the word of god this is what peter does next and let me just warn you this is going to be weird it's going to be strange to us they got a big decision to make and here's how they make it verse 21 so one of the men this is peter talking he says so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the lord jesus went in and out among us Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So Peter says, we've got to have a twelfth man, and it's got to be somebody that's been with us on this whole journey. All right? Verse 23, and so they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you've chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. It's like they rolled the dice. They flipped a coin. That's sort of what they did here. God, you tell us what to do. Heads, it's this guy. Tells it's this guy. They cast lots. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. They're trusting the scripture they're trusting God's sovereignty. They believed that God was in control. And so they left the choosing up to God. And they cast lots. That's weird to us. We, that's not our practice here. You know? I, I, don't, I don't sit in my office every day with a list of questions from God and go, Come on, snake eyes. You know? <laughs> that's not what's going on. It's a weird thing that we see here. And here's why it's weird to us. We're New Testament people. This act of casting this lot, these final verses of Acts chapter 1, is the end of the Old Testament. And you're like, no, wait a minute, this is the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. It's placed in the New Testament, what we call the New Testament in the Bible. But in the plan of God, this is still happening in the Old Testament era. In fact, this is the last activity that's going to happen under the Old Testament era. The next verse you read is going to be Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And it's in that day, on that chapter, in Acts chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit of God is going to be sent out of heaven and is going to come and dwell in the hearts of the redeemed men and women of God. And that will be the beginning of the New Testament period of time. Here's the reasons you and I don't, we don't cast lots and flip coins to determine God's will anymore. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Not only that, but we have the completed Word of God. And so this is why what they're doing seems strange to us because that's from a whole different era in the working of God with His people. When we get to chapter 2, there's a seismic shift in what God's doing in this world. The line of demarcation between Old Testament and New Testament is with the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And y'all, that's where we come into the story. Quit telling me, man, I wish I lived in biblical days. 
Hello? We are living in biblical days. You and I enter that story. And when we get back to two services in a couple weeks, I'm going to start bringing the kids back up here on the platform. And first thing we're going to do is that old timeline. And we're going to get to that point where I go, and this is where we come into the story. This is where we are. So what have we said today? Don't waste your waiting. Walk in obedience. Unite in prayer. Trust in Scripture. And let me say one more thing. Number four, believe in grace. While you're waiting, believe in grace. Waiting can be a place that's kind of lonely and sometimes a little scary and difficult. It's in that moment that you really need to believe in the grace of God. Here's what I find interesting about Acts chapter 1. The person doing most of the talking in Acts chapter 1 is who? Oh, dear Lord. Peter, thank you. You'll get out quicker if you talk faster. Peter is doing most of the talking in Acts chapter 1. Another question. Who is Peter mostly talking about? Judas. Peter and Judas, they're the focal point of Acts chapter 1. And these two men, they have so much in common. They both followed Jesus. He was the rabbi to both of them. They both were in a small group with these ten other disciples. Both Peter and Judas went to the same places. They heard the same teachings. They witnessed the same miracles. They were loved by the same Jesus. But that's not all they have in common. They also have this in common. They both failed Jesus. They both failed him miserably. Peter denied even knowing Jesus, and he used some pretty strong language to do it. And Judas orchestrated the events to have Jesus arrested. But in Acts chapter 1, what is different about the two of them? And it's this. One of them believed in the grace of God. One of them didn't. The difference between the two is not what they did. The difference is how they responded to what they did. I say this a lot. What's of most importance is not what you did, but what you did with what you did. Peter hears that Jesus is alive. What does he do? He runs to the tomb. Gets in there just behind the younger and quicker John. And later on, Peter and Jesus have what I think is one of the most moving moments in all of Scripture. It's early morning. They've just had breakfast with a handful of the other disciples. And then it seems Jesus sort of pulls Peter off to the side. And it's just Peter and Jesus there in this moment. And Jesus asked Peter this question. Pete, do you love me? Is that Jude's way of saying amen? <laughs> amen it, Jude. Come on. I've been hearing you. I was wondering who was amen in me, but that's Jude. Let it rip, my man. 
he pulls Peter off to the side and he says, Peter, do you love me? Now, if you've ever failed Jesus, you probably know how that question felt in that moment coming from Jesus. It stung. It hurt. There's shame. And there's regret. And there's guilt. And Jesus asked him again. And he even asked him a third time. And Peter was grieved, the Bible says. But then you know what Jesus said to him? Feed my sheep. I'm not done with you. There's grace, Peter. We're not finished. Take care of my lambs. Take care of my people. God forgives him. And he restores him. Here's the only difference between Peter and Judas. One believed in the grace of God. And the other didn't. One took his sin and his shame and his guilt to Jesus. And one took his sin and shame and guilt to the grave. As I look around this room this morning, I'm looking at a bunch of people who are alive. You're not dead yet. You woke up to a day today where the mercies of God were brand new. That means you can take your sin and your shame and your guilt today to Jesus. You don't have to take it to the grave. You don't have to carry it another day. You can give it to Jesus today. I know you're in this hard place of waiting. But while you wait, believe in His grace. Trust His word. Unite together in prayer with other brothers and sisters. And make sure that you're walking in obedience with what you do know right now. Lord Jesus, we bow before you today and we are grateful. As odd as it is to say it, we're grateful for the seasons that you tell us to wait. We don't like it. We don't enjoy it. But it's in those places that you transform us. By your grace, you enable us to be obedient, to trust your word, to unite with brothers and sisters in prayer, and to believe in the forgiving and restoring grace of Jesus. God, I pray for my friends and family in this room today that maybe they're in that season of waiting now and maybe they came in today discouraged and fearful. Maybe the conversation in their minds in this waiting has not been good. It's not been truth-filled. It's not been spirit-filled. It's been accusatory. We know that comes from the enemy. God, today I pray that we're hearing the voice of our advocate who stands on our behalf. The one who's for us and not against us. That in our waiting today, we would hear your still small voice calling us to take that step of obedience now. To seek you in prayer now. To believe in the grace of God now. 
to not carry our sin and our shame another step. Deliver us, change us, save us, and set us free while we wait on you. Give us grace to trust you more right now than we trusted you yesterday. In Jesus' name, let's stand. Let's worship the Lord. Let's be obedient to what he's saying to your heart today. If that looks like standing where you are and worshiping the Lord, if it looks like sitting in your seat and praying with somebody or coming to this altar to bow before the Lord, whatever it may look like, let's just be real and honest before the Lord today in this moment that we're waiting on him.